Hey listeners, Drew Humphrey here, and I want to invite you to check out the Shook But Not Shaken podcast presented to you by Highland College Ministry. This is a podcast designed primarily for college students, but all are welcome to check it out as we find some creative ways each week to remind ourselves the truth from Hebrews chapter 12, which says that although we may be shook, the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. We're going to have a little bit of a different plan for every week, so I encourage you to jump in and stay connected with us. We encourage you to stay connected to your church family throughout these unexpected days, and maybe this podcast will be a good resource for you. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Praying for you and love you, Highland. You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. We're going today to what I believe is the most comforting, hope-producing passage in all the Bible. I hope that you'll find your copy of God's Word. Find the Bible, maybe go to your, uh, to your smartphone, and let's go to the 23rd Psalm together. Uh, This is often called the shepherd's psalm because it speaks of the shepherding nature of God toward and over his people. So let's go to Psalm 23 together this morning. I'm going to read the entire passage, this entire chapter, and then um, encourage you to keep your Bible open as always for us to walk through scripture together and to see what God is saying to us about his shepherding nature over our lives. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There are four truths this morning that I'd like for us to learn together from this passage, from this chapter, the 23rd Psalm. I would encourage you to consider these four things with me today and this week, maybe to write these four things down I pray that these truths that we learn from God's word together this morning might bring comfort to you during a week of great uncertainty, maybe in our city and in our nation and around the world. I pray that these truths will bring you great certainty in the middle of anxiety, great truth in the middle of a time that we're uncertain what is true and what is not true. What will this week look like? So I encourage you to have God's word open, have a pen with you, piece of paper, and let's walk through together some of the things that God is speaking to us and sharing with us through his word this morning. The first thing you might want to write down is this. You can say, the Lord is my shepherd. You can say today as a Christ follower, the Lord is my shepherd. How how personal. What ownership the Lord has over his own. And it's a tender ownership. It's a merciful ownership. You, Christ follower, you belong to God. Therefore, you can say the Lord is my shepherd. I love our corporate times of worship on our worship gatherings. 
when you come at 840 or 10 o'clock, 1120 on a Sunday morning, and how I have missed those times with you these past three Sundays, including today. I love our time when we come and sing together and we gather around God's word and gather around God's name as we sing out the greatness of his majesty. I've missed that time and I've missed you. We have missed seeing you as a church staff. But there is something more powerful than gathering together. There is something more even majestic than gathering together as God's people and that is your relationship that you have with God. He is your shepherd. Psalm 23 really is all about a God who who leads and a God who guides with your Bible open. Look, it's really, it is speaking here about a God who leads beside the quiet waters in verse two, who guides us or leads us, the ESV says, in the paths of righteousness in verse three. A God who leads us through the valley of the shadow of death in verse four. A God who eventually, verse six, leads us to his own home. All these things are also things that David did for his sheep. He provided for them. He directed them. He protected them. He, he led them. And maybe at some point as David was writing this song down for even us to see today, maybe at some point David realizes that he was doing all these things for his sheep and maybe he began to, to ask this question to his own heart, but who's taking care of me? Who is shepherding my life? Who are doing all these things for me? Then he realizes, verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. Not a shepherd, not even the shepherd, but my shepherd. And David's heart perhaps was settled when he realized, I don't need to worry for the Lord is my shepherd. For all of you listening today around Waco, around our state, around our nation, around our world, you can say these same, same words in the middle of uncertainty, in the middle of fear, in the middle of anxiety, you can say these words, the Lord is my shepherd. I know there's a lot of people listening today that you're leading during this time, maybe leading your, your business, leading your company, leading your family, leading a staff. There's probably a lot listening today. In fact, I know there's some listening today that you serve in the medical profession. You're a doctor, you're a physician's assistant, you're a nurse. A lot of you have had to experiment with homeschooling for the first time ever these past several, several days, and you're learning now what it means to, to lead your kids educationally. For so many of you who are listening today that you're leading yourself during this difficult time in our nation's, nation's history, I just want to say to you that if you begin to question who is leading me, who is helping me, I'm there for so many people. Who, who is gonna be there for me? I want you to know the one who is there for you. It's the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who is majestic over the entire universe, the God who knows every star by name and can lift his hands and cause the stars to sing. That is the God who is your shepherd. So you can say today, the Lord is my shepherd. The second thing I want you to see is that it's God who restores our souls. Verse three, this is what, what David speaks to. That is the God who, who restores my soul. It's a God who restores our souls. Where, where did David need restoration? Where David needed restoration might be the exact same places where you need rest, restoration or I need restoration today. 
First thing I want to remind you of this morning is that it is God. He restores us from our guilt, from things that we have done in the past, things that we're ashamed of. God will restore us from our guilt. Guilt is anything that keeps us tied to the past. A guilt is anything that weighs us down, that prevents us as Christ followers to move forward. We consider our sin, we consider our past, we consider past mistakes, and often we just stay in that guilt that keeps us tied to the past and therefore unable to move forward spiritually. It is God who can restore us from our guilt. Certainly David understood guilt. Surely David understood what it meant to break the law of God, to break the heart of God and his relationship with Bathsheba. Certainly there was much guilt that he owned, much, much guilt that he felt. Not only had he committed a fair, but he'd also sent Bathsheba's husband Uriah out to be killed on the front lines. And so David understood the weight of guilt and how that guilt tied him to the past. With your Bible, just go a few pages over to the right, maybe just three or four pages over to Psalm chapter 38. Look at verse four with me. Psalm chapter 38, verse four. Listen to the guilt, listen to, to the weight that is bearing down on, on David. He says, for my iniquities or my sins, they have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They were too heavy for me. My wounds, they, they stink and they fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day. I go about mourning. Here's a man who felt great guilt over things in his past. If you're dealing with guilt today, here's some of the things that we often do when we feel guilty. We concede to it. We just think we'll always be guilty. We'll always have this, this sense of shame over our lives for things that are done in the past. And so often we just admit it and say, yes, I am guilty. I'll always be guilty. Often we concede to guilt. The other thing we often do is we rationalize our guilt. We say, well, maybe what I did wasn't so bad compared to, to others. Maybe I didn't hurt a whole lot of people with my sin or my foolishness, as David calls it. We begin to, begin to rationalize our guilt. Or maybe the third thing we often do is we project our guilt onto others. We see others who are guilty, maybe who've done the same things that we have done, or maybe even have, have dialed it up a little bit. We be, begin to project our guilt onto the guiltiness of others. For those listening today who have put their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ and those today who might want to put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, hear me very clearly. The scripture tells us this, that the forgiveness of God is complete and absolute. When God through Christ Jesus forgives us, it is an absolute, complete, immediate forgiveness. You'll see on your screen below, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God does not throw our past back into our faces. It is not God who, who brings up forgiven sin. Only the enemy does that. Only our flesh does that. Only guilt does that. And God will restore us from our guilt Romans chapter eight, verse one, you see on your screen also, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As we've often said from this pulpit before, stop reminding God of sin that he has already forgiven you of. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God restores our soul. 
what other areas of restoration did, did David need? It might be an area of restoration that you need as well. God restores us from our grief. Not only from our guilt, but he restores us from our grief. David had experienced great losses in his life. His son Ammon was killed. In fact, killed by another son of David, Absalom, who would be killed himself. And then we see in 2 Samuel chapter 17, the the sad story of David's one-week-old son who dies. David certainly had experienced grief. Look at Psalm chapter 31. Listen to these words that that David writes. If you want to turn there, you can. Psalm chapter 31, verse, verse 9. David writes, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief. My soul is also wasted from grief. My body also wasted from grief. Here is a man who cannot cry anymore. A man whose body, whose very soul fills the weight of the grief of burying three sons. And yet he turns to God and asks God to restore him. Praise God. This world of sorrow that we now live in is not the world that we'll always live in. God is redeeming all things. He is taking us to a place one day where there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. The world that God created is not the chaotic world that we live in now, but the chaotic world we live in now is not the world we will live in one day. For those who believe in Christ Jesus, he restores us from our grief. The next thing we see in this passage is that, that God can restore us as he restores our soul in verse, uh, verse 3 of chapter 23. Maybe another thing where, where David needed restoration was a restoration from bitterness. Maybe today you need God to restore you out of bitterness. David had a lot of justifiable reasons to be bitter. His relationship with his dad, Jesse, he probably had some dad issues with, with his dad constantly forgetting about him. His relationship with his brother, David, his relationship with his brothers, they also forgot him. Some family issues that he dealt with. His relationship with, with Saul, where Saul was so threatened by David, but also threatened to take the life of David. So here's, here's a young man who had every reason to be bitter, to be bitter toward his father, to be bitter toward his brothers, to be bitter toward his king. Then his own son, Absalom, betrays him. David had rightful reason to feel bitter toward his own son. In Psalm 71, verse 20, David speaks to this, and he says, though you, speaking to God, though you have made me see troubles, many troubles and bitter troubles, God, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. What trust and what faith David had in this shepherd God who could restore all things. Again, you may be listening today thinking, I need restoration from, from guilt, things that, that I have done. I need restoration from, from grief, things that have, have been done to me in my own life. Or maybe restoration from bitterness, things that were done to us. The word restore I hear in verse three is a, is a fascinating word. The word in Hebrew is the word shub for restore. It means to, to turn over or to, to turn around. Sheep have, 
have two stomachs or actually two chambers of other stomach. Wouldn't that be great to, to have two stomachs? Go to Chick-fil-A one afternoon, fill up one portion of that stomach and then drive down the road and go to VTEX and fill up that second stomach, that second chamber. What, what, what lucky beast sheep are to have these, these, these two stomachs. The, the upper stomach is called the rumen. That's where we get that word ruminate. And so as a sheep will eat grass, the, the grass will go inside of that, that rumen, that upper chamber. And there the process of cellulosis begins to happen where that grass breaks down into gas. Uh, sheep are gassy animals. If you've been on a farm before, you have heard it and you have smelled it. They're gassy animals. The sheep are so so awkwardly made. I don't know what God was thinking, but such an awkward shape. You have this, this big body and these tiny little legs holding it up. And often a sheep will, will flip upside down. And while it might be a very humorous picture to see an upside down sheep, that fat body with its little legs up in the air, it actually is a deathly situation for sheep. Because of that cellulosis, that process of all that gas in their rumen, when they flip upside down, the gas actually begins to go back up their windpipe, which chokes them out. They're no, no longer able to, to breathe in oxygen. And so what a shepherd has to do is be on a constant lookout for, for a sheep that has turned itself upside down who might be choking on these, his own gases and cannot breathe in the oxygen. And so what a, what a shepherd will tenderly do is reach down and turn that sheep over. But because all the blood has left the, the feet of that sheep, the legs of that sheep, that shepherd must embrace and hold that sheep. And while he holds that sheep with one hand, he takes the four legs and slowly begins to rub those legs so that the blood will re-enter into the legs of the sheep. In Hebrew, this is to shub, to turn over, to embrace, to hold, to bring life back to that sheep. So when David, a shepherd, writes about a God who restores us, who shoobs us. He was writing about a God who can turn all things around, who can turn us over even in the middle of our, our grief or our bitterness or our guilt and hold us and restore us and embrace us. Praise God. We have a shepherd who can restore our souls. The third thing I want you to see here, it's just five words, five really, really powerful, dynamic words. And here they are, for you are with me. Five of the most incredible words perhaps spoken in God's word. In fact, five incredible words that we can speak to God right now, this very day, this very week, for you are with me. If you have a difficult time memorizing scripture, I imagine you can memorize these five words, for you are with me. So this week, when finances seem overwhelming, when sickness might seem overwhelming, when the situation in our city, our state, our nation, our world might seem overwhelming to you, here are five words that we can say, for you are with me. Listen, Christ follower, you are not alone. God is with you and watches over you and he knows you, he sees you. Did you see the context in which David 
gives these five words for you are with me. Look back in your Bible, it's in verse four. Right after he had said in the valley of the shadow of death, right after he had said, I will fear no evil in a lonely, scary time of isolation, in a season where David had every right to be afraid and understandably afraid, David believed these five words, for you are with me. And in those words, he found his comfort and strength for tomorrow and hope. It is a covenant promise of God to his people. Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. It is a covenant promise of Jesus to his people. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, that he would be with us always, even into the very end of the age. For you are with me. The fourth and last truth I want us to see together this morning is very short. It's simply this, God redeems valleys. God redeems valleys. Let me show you a few things about valleys in scripture and then we will have a time of prayer together. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Valleys, they symbolize a difficulty and struggle. Valleys, they they symbolize for even God's people difficulty or or suffering or or times of of struggle. Here in in verse four, that phrase, shadow of death that you see in your Bible, uh, the word in Hebrew is is salma with. Salma with is translated this, the shadow of of death, but it also translates a, a gloominess or a heaviness or a sadness or an anxiousness. A situation of loss, a situation of suffering, a a situation of difficulty. And all throughout scripture, God uses valleys to remind us of the difficulty of life. The valley of Achor in the Old Testament, that word Achor translates uh, trouble. Uh, The valley of Rephaim was the valley of the foreboding giants. That's what that word means in, in Hebrew. The valley of um, Adumimim. Adumimim is a, is, a, is a Hebrew word of, of bloodiness or, or violence that God's people had to walk through. Even the valley of Gehenna, right outside of Jerusalem, was a valley that means trouble or, or sadness. God's people had to walk through these valleys. Valleys of of difficulty, valleys of suffering, valleys of the shadow of death. There's another valley you're probably very familiar with. It's the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley, Kidron in in, in Hebrew means the valley of darkness. And our own Savior, Jesus Christ, had to walk through that valley on his way to the cross, on his way to the garden, on the way to the illegal trial by the Sanhedrin. It is a valley that even Jesus had to endure. Valleys throughout the Bible always symbolize difficulty and and struggle. The second thing I want you to see about valleys is that they're, they're a part of God's sanctification. Valleys are a part of our sanctification. Do you see what it says here in, in verse three again, verse four, excuse me, even though, so not if I walk through, but even though I walk through. Valleys have a way of squeezing out our flesh and pressing in Jesus. God loves to use valleys to sanctify his people. Valleys let us really see who we are. Valleys require us to take a self-inventory of what's really happening in our hearts. We go through that time where our flesh is squeezed out and Jesus is pressed in. 
we begin to ask ourselves, what am I fearful of? And what is truly important to me? Here's the third way that God redeems valleys. Valleys are passable. This is so great in, in verse four, even though I walk through, maybe one of those beautiful prepositions in all the Bible, walking through the valley. We're often so concerned about our comfort, but God is so much more concerned about our character. And he's taking us through this valley. Do you see, it's, it's a passable thing, it's a passage here. It's in the valley that we tend to hear God the, the clearest and sense him the closest. Just think about even the shape of a valley. When you're walking in a valley with somebody, you're forced to be close to them. When you're walking through a valley with somebody, you're able to hear their words so much more clearly. If you were simply walking on a mountaintop, it'd be so much easier to spread out and have to shout to one another to understand one another, but not in a valley. In a valley that we might even be in today, that you and I will probably experience this week. It is in this valley where Christ is the closest and we hear him the clearest. Valleys are passable. Valleys also are a place in which we walk. Do you see what it says in, in verse four? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, everything within us wants to run through uncomfortable times. Everything within us, we, we just wanna sprint through these next two weeks in our city. We just wanna sprint these next two weeks in the situation that we're experiencing as a nation. But God is telling us right here, refuse to fear and refuse to run. Walk. Walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. Here's the last way that God redeems valleys. Valleys move us from knowing about God to knowing God. Valleys, they, they shift us from talking about God or singing about God and truly knowing God. You see, your relationship with God through Christ Jesus can be strengthened this week. One of the most fascinating things to me about the 23rd Psalm, I'm about to land on this one as I wrap this up, and here it is. Everything shifts grammatically in verse four. In verse two and verse three, everything is in third person as David speaks about God. He makes me lie down, he leads me, he restores, restores my soul, he leads me in, in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Those are all third person pronouns or third person uh, 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 possessive pronouns. But everything changes, everything changes in verse four. In the middle of verse four, now he says, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare, verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Everything changes, and where does it change? In the valley. David moves from talking about God to talking to God. And that is my challenge for you this morning. In fact, it is God's loving challenge to all of his people today that we would move from just knowing about God this week and know a God who knows your name, 
who watches you, who sees you, who cares for you, who protects you, who directs you, who guides you, and who will pursue you with his goodness and mercy all the days of our lives until we enter into his house forever. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for God, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare before me a table in the very presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil so that my cup overflows. Surely, your goodness and your mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for these great promises you have given to us in your word. How we praise you today that you are a personal God. We can say as followers of your son, Jesus Christ, the Lord is my shepherd. We can say based upon your covenant promises to us, for you are with me. And Father, it may seem too soon for some to hear this next prayer, but God, thank you for the valleys. It is in those valleys that we sense you so close. We hear your voice as we walk with you, as we draw into your presence. God, thank you that you are redeeming these valleys even now. We live to praise you. We live to know you. So move us from having conversations about God to having a conversation with you, oh God. Move our hearts in these valleys to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to worship you with every ounce of who we are. It is in the name of Christ, the shepherd's son, that we pray together. Amen.